0: Welcome to another episode of Shades of Gay and I'm pleased to announce it's the very first female guest I've had on the show. Can I just welcome Christy to Shades?
1: Thank
0: you. I'm a first. You are are a first but you know that I've wanted to interview you for a while and you've been procrastinating over it for for some time as well.
1: (laughs) I guess that's what you could call it, yeah.
0: Or masticating. Not masticating.
1: I'm flattered that you think I've got a life to talk about.
0: Well, well, I'll soon find out. If you uh, <laughs> want to comment and, and if you like Christy, let us know. It's interesting. You are, inter- I find you very interesting. I think that's why we're friends.
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. And also because we like each other.
0: Well, yeah. But I, would, I wouldn't like you if I didn't find you interesting.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Would I? I, I'm, right. no. I'm... Well, I do, I do like people that aren't interesting, but I just don't hang out with them much.
0: But, uh, are they friends?
1: Then? I suppose they're just acquaintances. In
0: case you're wondering why, uh, why Christy sounds a little bit far away. Where are you uh, talking from right now?
1: In Wellington, New Zealand, and. Wow. Um... At the very moment, I'm sitting in my car. I didn't want to do it in my family home because you'd be hearing lots of people walking around.
0: Oh, I could have said hi to your mother.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'd never get a podcast out of that. Would we?
0: <laughs> and, and one thing I'm always, I am always always love, and it's, really a bit, it's a bit silly, really, it's my child in me, is that I'm recording this on Monday the 29th of November and it's 10.05pm and you're in tomorrow. It's, it's Tuesday where you are. Uh,
1: yes, and it's 11.05 a.m.
0: weird. That's really weird. I want your lotto numbers. and I'll play. Christy, let's let's take you back to one of your earliest memories because as people know that I listen to this podcast, we have got like this, it's a, a linear uh, timeline of the events that have happened in your life and stuff that make you who you are. So what, what can you say was your earliest <laughs> memory that you have?
1: Well, the very earliest memory is... Um... And I don't know why I remember this, but I was about two and I was walking with my mum going to what we call the dairy corner store or something. And um, I, I was just walking with my nappy on and, and underneath my pants. And I remember thinking, oh, I've just pooed myself. Of course, I couldn't really say much. So I was just holding my mum's hand and thinking, oh, yeah, I've pooed myself. <laughs> I'm um, walking along and in, in, in that and that's my first memory.
0: And you don't remember anything around that like what your mother did to you or uh, slowly peeling that nappy off showing your bare ass?
1: <laughs> no, I might have blocked that out. But uh, uh, I just remember it was a weird memory because I consciously thought, oh, I've hoed myself, you know, like, oh. I must have done it a few times before that, but for some reason this one struck me. It
0: always makes me wonder that these people, if they can remember more because of something to do with their brain, because you, you class yourself as quite a spiritual person, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think most of my my outlook on life is based around my spirituality, yeah.
0: Where did this one come about?
1: ever since I can remember I've innately always thought that there was something in spiritual I mean I obviously didn't have the words for it when I was younger but I always looked at things and thought everything has an energy and everything has a soul but I didn't know what that was I was just personality in them all and you know every inanimate object every living object everything and then as I got a little bit older, I started asking in my head if I could see anything, can I see something? And I think I always believed in a higher energy as well, a higher force. Um, But I was, my parents were never religious. They never, I never went to church. I never got forced into believing anything. They just kind of left me to my own devices. So that's kind of, you know, unusual, I suppose, and that innately I was getting these, these feelings of something bigger in the universe. And um, I remember just saying around about the age of six or seven, I want to see something. And I I guess I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quite sure what I actually said, but I remember physically saying, I want to see something. And unfortunately, I saw something that wasn't um, very, (laughs) very nice. I suppose I should have specified that I wanted to see something nice. (laughs) But I think what happens as a spiritual um, uh, perspective is that I opened up my energy and I didn't have any way of controlling it because I was only about six or seven. And so that usually means that a lot of, a lot of different energies can come through, whether they be dark or or light. And unfortunately I I attracted something dark and I ended up seeing um, something in my doorway of the bedroom. I I was up on a bunk, bed my brother was below fast asleep he's, he's younger than me and I remember just waking up and just immediately looking down at the doorway and seeing like a, a black three-dimensional solid figure of a of a dog sitting on its haunches you know like just sitting there and there, it was there was no features it was completely black and it kind of looked like a Doberman and I just remember just remember feeling utter terror it wasn't a good thing it wasn't a nice happy ghost coming to say <laughs> hello I was just completely terrified and I screamed and I knew I wasn't asleep because um, it, it was about four or five seconds and it disappeared after I screamed and then a few days later I oh how many days later it came back again but this time when i screamed it didn't disappear a, fa- oh. a face came up on it with uh, red eyes and red teeth and it looked like a cartoon it actually like obviously i i didn't know that at the time but thinking back i was like that's really cartoonish <laughs> but um i now know having studied a lot of the supernatural and you know dark entities and all sorts that's their way of scaring children because mm they they know you're a child and that's enough to scare you so um that came up on its face and i screamed again and it didn't disappear and but instead my dad came out of the bedroom across from me and walked straight past it no. and it still didn't it still didn't disappear and then he turned on the hallway light and then that's when it disappeared and that's how i know i wasn't dreaming i saw all of that with my own eyes and i was like no it was there and so from that moment onwards from the age of six or seven I was like what the hell was that and I just started studying um everything to do with first of all the supernatural ghosts poltergeists um horror but then gradually it would be like well if there's ghosts there must be there must be life after death and then Mm -hmm. I would find out about the soul and then I would find out about mediums and then for from... like a rabbit hole yeah i went down a massive million a million rabbit holes and mm-hmm. it, it led to where i am today and um my spiritual outlook today is still growing but there's definitely a million rabbit holes to go down and some of it's pretty weird
0: did you tell your parents or your dad came running through and wanted to know why you were screaming did you tell them that story
1: i can't remember what i said immediately on that day Um, I don't think I said I saw something, but I was terrified. Mm -hmm. I have told them, you know, since, and they were just like, oh, he must've been dreaming. And it's it's like, no, I wasn't. I had my eyes open and I saw you walk past, you know? And um, so since studying that, I found out that there are, you know, there's, there's different realms around around earth Hmm. and they have beings and that there's the astral realm and there's different different entities and different light beings and you know where there's where there's darkness there's there's also good and so there's a, a duality that we're living in and unfortunately um i attracted that dark entity but I've been told by some mediums and psychics that there was a reason it, that that happened. It was it was to trigger my spirituality. And um, I'm also someone who lives in duality. I live in darkness and in light.
0: But what does that mean to, to anyone that's not quite sure?
1: Um, it means that I'm supposed to understand the dark side of the universe. And that's why it, it came to me like that. So I'm supposed to. So I'm writing horrors at the moment. I'm a screenwriter. and mm. I'm really i love writing horrors but um you know uh, i've been told that this is my way of understanding dark energy and and transferring it back out into um our reality now the earth so mm. that other people can take from it what they will hopefully i'll get some of my horrors made but yeah. um a lot of people don't think that you should look at the dark side of the universe um I'm not saying i'm like completely a satanist or anything i'm just saying that there's a there's a dark side of the universe and and a lot of people say oh don't look at that because otherwise you know you'll be attracting negativity and you should be more positive Um, it's actually not how spirituality works. You have to look at what we call the shadow and Mm. you have to do shadow, you have to do shadow work. And that means looking Mm -hmm. at the dark side of the universe as well, so that you can understand it and then learn from it. And then that's how you get to be in positivity because you've done all this work on your dark Mm. side that came to me because I was supposed to understand my shadow self.
0: But when you said that when somebody told you it had to be a demon that came to visit you to like kind of trigger your spirituality. Is that a demon as if it was a real entity, like a one on one thing? Or was it a demon that was representing something totally different?
1: Um, well, it definitely showed itself as something childlike, you know, a dog mm. with a car- sort of weird, evil cartoon face. So, yeah, that's not what it would look like to any- anyone else who saw it. it was a, It was symbolic of trying to promote terror in me. I pretty much don't sleep with my door <laughs> open anymore. I'm too scared I I'm still afraid of the dark and I, I can't sleep with the light off um I still sense things but I'm supposed to get over that and so and in the last I I actually um, was experiencing quite a lot of really cool spiritual lucid dreams when I was a kid. And then when I saw that, they all went away, like all all, all this really cool stuff, like thinking I could fly and thinking I could levitate and telekinesis. It was all in in my dreams, but it felt real. That all just disappeared after I saw that. I'm starting to have those dreams again, which is really cool. Like holding my hand out and something flying towards it, like telekinesis or feeling like I can fly. It's, and you wake up and you're like, oh, that felt so great. But um, yeah, I lost all of that. So it it was a symbol to trigger me, but it was also um, it also did its job a little bit too well. I got a little bit too tra- traumatized by it.
0: Do you think that something like that can be dangerous? Can it Can it affect people physically? Or is it just...
1: Yes, know? I mean, if I hadn't uh, done the work to try and figure out what this was and why it came, I would mm. have probably just stayed in my trauma in my yeah. mind and gone, wow, what the hell was that? And then that trauma ends up um, physically affecting you. So you might end up feeling sick or getting depressed or uh, feeling like there's a negative attachment to you and you, because you're not doing the work to understand it you just go through your life physically yeah. and and mentally ill so yeah you can definitely do that and and there's ways to obviously stop seeing those things and stop getting that side of of um duality darkness yeah. as opposed to light and i'm definitely um moving Towards uh, more light at the moment I like, My last screenplay I wrote Was much more um, of of the light Rather than horrors I love horrors I still want to write horrors But I, I'm trying to balance it out
0: Coming to the uh, side of things You were If I remember this right You did the world's first Twitter horror story Didn't you?
1: Yeah I call it the Well I actually call it The world's first Twitter movie <laughs> Sounds bigger doesn't it?
0: No it, is, it was big I remember at the time You was on Primetime News
1: I was on BBC wasn't I? Yeah Yeah I was quite proud of myself for that. Um, that was, uh, yeah, that was actually called a Transmedia Project. So um, transmedia is when you do multimedia through, and you try and get people to follow a story through different levels of media. And um, Twitter was going at the time. It, was, it wasn't it was that new, actually. I, I still came into it late, but no one had ever tried to put, put something over their tweets as if it was a story. I think the only mm. thing anyone had done at that time was, tweet shakespeare yeah. it's like oh well that's you know that's not that great but so i came up with this idea of i i want to produce something reasonably cheap um and i want to get it out to an audience and i just thought i can't believe no one's using twitter and other social media at the moment to push a, a sort of a movie through it so i came up with a fake character called karen barley and mm-hmm. she um i she was tweeting her life, as if she'd just come onto Twitter, and as you, it was a live event. It was a three-week live event, and as you watched her tweets and you saw some of the videos and audio she was posting, you started to realise that she's um telling a story, or she, her life is pretty weird, and it's, it ends up being a horror story where she gets lost in Hearst and Croydon, South Croydon, where I was living at the time, so that was convenient. And um she gets lost in, in the hearse with her boyfriend, and there's a parallel worlds and doppelgangers and all kinds of things going on and each time you click on her video it gets weirder and creepier and um I was really proud of it because people start people actually thought she was real yeah and then they realized she wasn't but they they were like oh this is cool anyway let's just keep following her yeah and then, and it was it was a 3 week live event so each tweet came out live as if she was really doing it and i remember having to find all the software to try and schedule the, the tweets cuz i was still working there's a website you can go to called karenbarley.co.uk and it's got it's an, it's an archive site so it's got how i did it if you, if you go to that, i've re, i've redone it now and it's got all the auditions for the actors and um it's got the script it's got the the tweets as they as they happened and all the videos uh-huh. are still there and all the equipment i used and yeah it was I'm still really proud of it. And some people around the world who study media, I still sometimes get people emailing me going, hey, we're studying transmedia and um, we just want to ask you about your project.
0: I mean, that's fantastic. I, I remember it being phenomenal when-, when it first came out. And I remember thinking, "God, what is going through your mind at the time doing this?
1: I know. I think I was, um, well, like I said, I- I've always liked horror. So I was reading a lot of horror and I wanted my screenplays to be horror Um, and I also knew that horror is the most commercial thing you can make you know a lot of Hmm. producers will come to writers because they think horror will make money so I, I started out consciously making horror but I, lo- I love it and at that time I was living by myself and I was just like oh my god this is going to be such a hard project to do I think I only had about a handful of people helping me and um but yeah I, I managed to pull it off and I'm really proud of it.
0: So just just be uh, before we continue on this one do you want to give out your social medias if people are listening and want to see what you look like or?
1: No I can do that I'm, I'm, I'm a writer I'm trying to promote myself. Well uh yeah so my website is christybarnett.com and that's got all my uh screenwriting um work on it i've obviously got like a little facebook page called christy barnett screenwriter that you can follow a bit more like a blog and i'm also on instagram christy barnett underscore screenwriter so
0: fabulous so just going back you you were talking about you you did this when you was in london but there's a bit of a time before you actually moved to london
1: so i ended up uh Leaving college with not that many good grades, I was pretty average, and some of my grades were pretty below average. But I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I knew I was creative, and I knew I loved music at the time. I still do. So I thought, oh, I know, I'll be a, I'll be a radio announcer.
0: <laughs> As you do.
1: As you do. You know, I'm 16. Oh yeah, I'll be a radio announcer. So I found <laughs> out that there's a radio course that started up in, in Wellington. It was one of the first. Um, it's still going but i was i was the first intake and mm. i i did that for about four months full time and learned how to do everything to do a radio like you know mixing old desks and um the old reel-to-reel tapes cutting it wow. together and he wanted to teach us the old school stuff as well as yeah. the, the, the modern day stuff so and then after that i became a radio announcer for a a, a, a a station in wellington that was called Kix fm it was a classic rock station oh. um but i was i was doing it as volunteer i didn't get paid and that's when i found out that i sound like a 10 year old um on on recording so you're probably thinking that now i <laughs> sound like a child
0: but ba- bart simpson
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not oh I, sh- I should have auditioned for that maybe but yeah, yeah i i was doing the radio announcing and um the desk there was a little light on it was an old-fashioned desk and there was a little light that kept flashing yeah. and i thought i thought it was trying to tell me that my levels were too high and i i was peaking mm. so i kept bringing the fader down and eventually the manager walked in and said why don't you answer the phone it was the phone ringing and I was, i was making the music go down but <laughs> <laughs> I answered the phone eventually, and some person um, rang up, and he said, "How old are you?" I was like, "What?" And he goes, "Well, you sound like you're a 10. And I was like, "Oh." oh so yeah. <laughs> that's how I realised um, maybe I probably won't get very far as a radio announcer. I tried yeah. to put on a really deep, mask, you know, like yeah, you know, musky voice, but it didn't work. <laughs> and also, the thing that I got really annoyed about was that I realised I couldn't play my own mm-hmm. playlist. So I wanted to do my own music. I keep getting told off. <laughs> that I wasn't playing the playlist. And eventually, and also I couldn't tell the time. I was really, um, I've got a bit of a, well, I think I've got dyscalculia, but it's not um, diagnosed. But It's when you can't, you don't do well with numbers. And um, I, I found it hard telling the time on an analog clock. So as a radio announcer, that's some of your, part of your job is to t- tell the time. Every time the song finished, I'd sort of look up at the wall and go, and the time is, and then you could hear me going, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And then I, eventually I just go, oh, I'll get your own bloody watch. And then uh, my mm. manager came out and I, and I ended up having a, a personality that was quite funny. And a lot of people were ringing up saying, oh, I really like listening to you. But my manager didn't like it. He wanted me to mm. just play music and say the time and just say what the next song was. And Ooh. so I got pretty disillusioned from that and ended up mm. leaving. That's my life. I end up getting disillusioned pretty quick. <laughs> oh. And I found out why recently, actually. I've been yeah. told that I've got I've got ADHD. So that's one of the things is just that you sort of give up really quickly. Um, But I ended up going from that to film school um, and learning for one year, everything to do with television and film. Like Mm. in one year, it was pretty intense.
0: For everything.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And then you had to try and um, pick what subject you wanted to specialize in. I ended up picking camera operating. I actually wanted to be more like a writer or director but um i i didn't think i was going to make any money <laughs> so i thought i'd better yeah. pick something where i could make money uh which was a bit stupid i mean i should have just done whatever but i yeah. ended up being i left i left film school and i ended up working as a camera operator in sports and yay i filmed lawn bowls and you
0: know <laughs> lawn balls, That's what oh we film
1: so much <laughs> lawn bowls it, what do you call it in the uk is it called lawn bowls
0: yeah, where you've got 6 six seventy year old people with them balls and they've got to hit a little ball on a green grass. Yeah. 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 We balls. actually
1: we filmed that and uh, we tried to make it exciting. But um
0: did you have to learn to be a paramedic as well, just in case one of them has a heart attack. Or stroke.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would think that. Uh, <laughs> um I was in, in charge of the defibrillator. We did that and then me and my friend who went to film school with me were like let's go to london let's get in the uk and we'll make money there because we're not making money doing lawn bowls we'll, we'll go and get into the film industry over in london and yeah. i ended up working in shopping tv
0: which is where we met what made you choose london out of everywhere
1: well i have a, uh, i have a british passport so my father's welsh and i knew that i could mm. um spend time there as long as i wanted with my passport so it was the easiest option probably not any- no <laughs> well i think i've yeah, I still got my British passport, but
0: Yeah. It's, it's all right. Pretty pretty patels letting anyone in, so just come when you want.
1: Silly silly me. I was like, Oh yeah, I'll just save up like oh three thousand New Zealand dollars. Oh, New gosh. Zealand dollars that comes to about a thousand pounds.
0: Ouch.
1: <laughs> maybe maybe one thousand five hundred pounds. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, that'll be enough. I'll get a job quickly and then it, we got there and um most of that went on our first flat, you know, the mm. the first month and then the four weeks deposit or bond yeah. you call it and i was like, oh there, there goes my money <laughs> <laughs> so i i ended up having to um quickly get a temping you know just be being a temp and then yeah. my friend uh was a lot luckier than, than me i think she she had a really good cv even though technically we had the same stuff on it yeah. hers must look hers must have looked better because she always she she got um a job at bid tv oh. and i was like oh well i'm going to try so i put my cv in and they said no right. And I was like, what? And I remember just <laughs> constantly saying, well, hold on. You just employed my friend. We've got exactly the same skills. Yeah. My CV's got the same thing on it. And then I just kept badgering the the manager at the time. Um, and then he finally gave in. He said, I like your tenacity coming for an interview. And then mm. I, I got a job. Sometimes yeah. I think, why was it that hard? Maybe I wasn't supposed to get that job. And I caused myself yeah. a whole lot of grief.
0: Maybe she had a different font. Maybe she had Helvetica. Did you have Ariel? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah damn it i chose liberation. i chose liberation Seraph.
0: did you ever ask him why
1: um i think i must have asked why yeah i definitely said why didn't i get it because my friends my friends got mm. the same cv but um i can't remember what he said I, I think it had something to do with their positions he's got a lot of people applying and but in the end he ended up asking me to come in and i got a job everyone everyone on tv was um they swore everyone swore Everyone, most people were either um, gay or bisexual. Like fifty percent, that was like most of the um, the people at Bid TV. I, I reckon at least fifty percent were were gay or bisexual.
0: I wish someone had told me.
1: <laughs> well, maybe I'm just saying that because when I came from New Zealand, I was very shouted from that, and I didn't yeah. see, I didn't hang out in, in any of those groups. And then I got to London, and suddenly it was just there, and it was just, it was just fine
0: you know So, what was New Zealand like in regards to LGBT
1: well I I just didn't really have any experience of it I don't think it was closed-minded I think it was just like oh if if that's not something that's in your sphere it's just it's not in your face you know and, and you don't you don't think about it um but I I think New Zealand is supposed to be considered quite liberal with the LGBT community nowadays. And I remember when I was a kid, when I was about six, one of my best friends was a uh, he was, was definitely it? gay. He was, was definitely it? gay. <laughs> well, I was gonna I, I was gonna say I think he's actually um transgender now, but I, I'm not right. sure. Um, but he was yeah, he was definitely gay and you know, nobody cared. You know, he hung out with all the girls, and he, you know, he was fine, and we didn't care. So I guess because I didn't care, it wasn't sort of like something that. And that's mm. kind of my whole way of looking at my sexuality. I actually don't care that much about my sexuality.
0: Yes. Yeah, what, what is it that you identify yourself as?
1: Well, I'm bisexual.
0: How did your family take that?
1: Um, I don't really officially said anything um i think what happened was when i was doing the uh tinder dating um i went on tinder started a profile and obviously i thought well i'll just say that i'm bisexual and i completely forgot that wellington's a pretty small city and my brother was on tinder and <laughs> i think what happened is that he saw my profile mm. come up and i'm not sure if this is true or not but i think yeah. this is what happened and because uh, a few days later I came in and he gave me this sneaky look and he was like, oh, I saw you on Tinder. And I was like, and I didn't think anything about it. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay, cool. I hope you didn't swipe right. <laughs> yeah. and, then, um, <laughs> and then, and then I thought, oh no, that means he would have seen, I've said bisexual. So I was like, oh, I didn't say anything. And then um, her, my mum started posting things on Facebook on her wall just really odd things like a, a video of a, of a boy coming out to his mum and then you know a few things like that were coming out on her on, on the wall and then she said things like oh this is so beautiful I love my children no matter what <laughs> and I'm like oh I think she's trying to say that she knows yeah but I, I didn't say anything so I, I just like kept it quiet and then eventually she said oh are you are you trying to date are you dating anyone and I was like, No, I'm not. No, not really. It's not really going very well. And then she kind of half-heartedly went, Oh, well, maybe you should try girls. And I went, Oh, well, I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then she went, Oh, right. And, I, and then and then I said, Yeah, they didn't go too well either. So I've kind of given up. And then that was it. So <laughs> I think I think she knows at least. But I am. But I I never sort of grew up thinking I was bisexual. I just sort of would look at girls. My first crush was was my female teacher hmm. when I was about six. Everything's six or seven.
0: One thing that I, I've noticed when I've been interviewing people doing the timeline, a lot of quite important things happen around the age of seven. You said you saw your demons first. I think you've listened to the uh, my friend who's the witch on one of them. I've just done an interview now, which is coming out after yours. Um, And he had something quite major happen at seven. So I wonder if it's something not necessarily just life memories, but something as a a child, whether you kind of kind of attract, like you've attracted spirit, you could become spiritual. If that's something that happens with a child around that time.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, scientifically your brain um, um, absorbs everything and you're, you're more open to accepting anything. Mm -hmm. So you're more impressionable. I mean, that's a scientific fact. Yeah. until the age of about eight and then I think they say after eight you start to become more discerning about what you're gonna let into your your brain so so that's why um yeah you're you're very impressionable at seven and I suppose spiritually much more open to things yeah so that's where I think but I mean <laughs> I'm saying seven because yeah I think that's that's the age but yeah my first my first crush was my my teacher she didn't like me either so this was this is a pattern I was my first pattern of girls not liking me when I like when when I like them. Oh. Um, I know, but uh, yeah, she 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 was a bit nasty to me, and I didn't know why because I was like, "But you're so pretty."
0: Pretty people get away with a lot of things.
1: I know, you bitch. So I I didn't think. Oh, I like. A girl that didn't come into my. I was just going, oh, mm. you're so pretty, and I I like you, and and then I would hang around boys and try and get boys to like me, but I don't know why. I was just like, I guess that's what I thought I should be doing, and then um, but also I was trying to get most people to like me because I was always trying to to get friendships. So
0: I think as a very strong uh, woman who knows exactly. Uh, what she wants or how she wants it. it's quite intimidating to a lot of men
1: oh yes well I think I think definitely in Britain I was thought to be intimidating oh, yeah. by I men. but I got sort of to the age of 10 and my first celebrity crush was a female that was Jennifer Connolly yeah. after watching Labyrinth so but I didn't I wasn't thinking much of it I was just like oh yeah she's pretty and if I was a guy I'd do her or if I was drunk I'd do her you know <laughs> it was always like I wasn't actually yeah. understanding why I liked someone or these people hmm. and then I kind of got to the end of my life in England I was, I was there for about 10 years and I was single and I had a lot of girls looking at me and and I thought they were pretty and I could tell they were flirting with me and I thought oh no I, I do like girls maybe I should do something about it but actually I'm going back to New Zealand so I'm not going to do anything here because there's no point point. and so I, I made a conscious decision to try and explore that in New Zealand and um thinking that it was going to be easier and we're, we're all yeah. liberal over there. But um, yeah, no, it wasn't easy at all. I think it would have been easier in London, actually. I don't know.
0: I think one of the issues with, with women as well is that, by, I guess, bisexual women or are, are lesbian women, it's, it's there's so much fewer than gay men, just generally. So going to a very small place, I don't know how big Wellington is on New Zealand, but going to a smaller place is probably a lot, lot fewer women than a lot more fewer women that either you like, they like you, or you know mutual things. So cause you, you had a few, you, you had a few issues going back to New Zealand, didn't you, with with um, navigating around the gay scene there?
1: Yeah, well, I didn't even do anything in the first few years I got back. I, in fact, I was very antisocial because I. I've gone through my life going up and down with depressive episodes and I think I just ca- I was just coming out of one uh when I left London I was really depressed at the time I was leaving. I, I didn't really want to leave London but I ran out of money <laughs> as you know you yeah. came to the court with me. I I declared myself bankrupt.
0: Oh gosh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah.
1: And I um I was going through financial difficulties. I wasn't getting any jobs and my flat was expensive and uh I was just really depressed. I was literally having a depressive episode, and I was seeing GPs and psychiatrists, and they were trying to help. And eventually, spiritually, coming back to my spirituality, I realized that I don't think I'm supposed to be in England. Um, Too many things are going wrong. And when that happens, it's usually, uh, from my point of view, it's my spirit guides are trying to say, you are you're kind of on the wrong path. And you should be you're not meant to be here. Mm. And my my parents were like, well, come back, you don't sound very happy. So I came back to New Zealand. And um, within the first two or three years, I didn't really socialize. I only had maybe or three friends from you know earlier on and i didn't know the film industry i was trying to like navigate a whole lot of different things so the last thing on my mind was like oh i'll go out and get a girl yeah so i just stayed away and just hung out with my family for a few years and my little niece who was a baby um i think i was meant to sort of be there for her and my family And then I don't know, I I don't know what the trigger was. But eventually, I just decided to, I I decided I had been too antisocial, and I wasn't going to get anywhere if I didn't go out. So I said to a male friend at the time that I, I'm also into girls, and I'd like to Mm. explore that side of things. And he said he would be my wingman. And, uh, and that's like, I don't think I understood what a wingman was because he kept pretty much trying to go out with the girls that I was trying to go out of. <laughs>
0: well, that's not a wingman.
1: Yeah, no. That's just an ass. Exactly. So um, that was my first... Unfortunate encounter with me trying to get anywhere in that scene was just realizing that if you're bisexual, um, you're going to have competition with other. If you if you're bisexual, going for bisexual woman, you're going to have competition. You know, course, the woman yeah. will also like the men. And I came to the conclusion that cock always wins, <laughs> but with bisexual woman, uh, well, I mean, that's me being cynical that's pretty much my my experience is that these girls who think they like girls and want to explore that if a man comes along they will pretty much just push you aside and it's just like well no wonder bisexuality is has got a bad rap
0: do you think the girls do this because of easier to go for the man because it's what they would see more accepting or do you think like you just said they're maybe not quite as bisexual as you think
1: they're maybe just i think as a combination of all of that, yeah. I mean, mm. it depends. Obviously, I was picking um, or, or falling for women who are not um, very confident in their own sexuality. So, yeah, they would be like, oh, this is more, perhaps this is more accepted and I don't want to be seen with this girl. But also, mm. um, just everything you said, really, I, I think I should have tried to find someone who was really confident in yeah. what they were projecting. And that was my mistake because I was just really attracted to the fir- the first two girls that I liked.
0: So I think because you've had a, a, a bad experience with those straight away, for whatever reason, then that kind of, it kind of knocks you down straight away to try and think, well, you know, what, what's the point or is anyone out there or my only reference point to anything like this. So it's bad.
1: Yeah. And that was a shame. And, and I was thinking that, you know, like, people were saying you know don't don't give up and and then wellington is small so i what i was seeing was that there was a, a lot of um people from you know 19 year olds and up to 25 year olds who were already with someone these girls like there is a big um scene you know I, I could i could go into yeah. quite a lot of gay friendly bars and see lots of girls together and i'd be like oh well mm. how did you meet you know how did, how are you guys getting together And um, so, but I I think they're doing it at university and at school. It's just like, I kind of missed my, my boat a little bit. And um, yeah, so there's that feeling as well, especially when you're in a smaller town, a city and then, but I was thinking, okay, keep trying. And I, I, I tried different attempts, you know, different types of people. I realized that going to bars is not the way to do it because everyone is so flaky there. Everyone. And then I tried the, I tried dating apps Mm. and I would get, people who looked genuine and but then they would not you know they don't they'd, um, they'd stand me up mainly uh, the woman they wouldn't it's like they were too scared and I thought yeah. they were being real and so I just give up on that as well. And um, yeah, there's one, there was one person that I thought might, might be nice to meet, but we never managed to do it because she, she ended up getting quite ill. But, um, <laughs> so we, we've ended up being friends, like online, okay. just chatting to each other. But um, as I normally do, I just sort of pull back again and I'm like, oh, I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. I just want to be single. What am I looking for anyway? I don't like with yeah. people. But where where's
0: your mind frame now in, in regards to sexuality and, and and what you want in regards to this?
1: Yeah, well, I'm at, I'm at that point um, where I'm uh, my spirituality is kind of taken over yeah. again, and um, there's a lot of things that I'm going through that I think the world is going through spiritually. It's a lot more important than me trying to Mm. be in a relationship. So, you know, I, the only time I ever feel like I want to be with someone now is if I'm uh, on holiday on a beach and you see couples together. And I'm like, oh, that would be nice. But most of the time I'm quite happy being single, other than the expense of it. It's bloody expensive being single.
0: <laughs> Say, oh god dear, did you think that? I think it's expensive being in a relationship.
1: If you try if you try and go on holiday, they charge you for single supplements. You want your own room, you know. Um yeah. I've got to pay for my own food. If I want to be in a flat by myself, that's more expensive.
0: Yeah, at well, least not paying for someone else. You know, like when you go out for dinner, oh, you know we got—I'll buy your first drink. Or I'll go and we'll buy your meal. Grass is never greener.
1: That's right. But I'm—I'm quite—I'm mm. quite happy now. I—I know—I know that I'm bisexual because I have yeah. looked at other women. Like for a while there, I was like, oh, was it just that? Was it just those mm-hmm. couple of girls? But then no, I—I I recently, probably in the last six months. There was another person that i was immediately attracted to and um i thought oh and then tried to do something about it and it didn't go my way in fact i just decided to be authentic eventually and say oh, i've got a big crush on you and i knew and i knew she was by bi- uh, bi- uh she's uh, pansexual and um so i i knew i was okay to say that but she immediately just shut down and was just like don't contact me <laughs>
0: she could have just had a nice decent conversation with you about you know where she, what she was feeling but to, to ghost you like that that's still not your fault so you're just having a bad run of luck at you.
1: maybe i'm not meant to be with anyone i mean spiritually i have um this feeling that i i'm not really supposed to be in a massive relationship you know i i don't really want to get i don't want to get married there's too many um what we call karmic karmic debts and i think i'm at a level of my soul journey where i don't need to attract all of that Karma anymore?
0: Yeah, and, and also as well, there's a there's a lot been going on in the world at the moment. when I mean, we could talk about COVID. Was it just before that, during that, you had a, a quite a big of a health scare? Yeah,
1: I feel like um, so about a year and a half ago, my well, my hormones have always been crazy. Like from the age of twelve, as soon as puberty hit, mm. I think my body was just like, you think you're going to have a fun ride? No, it's not going to be easy. So <laughs> I ended up getting endometriosis, which is um, I don't know if anyone it's most people will probably know about it now but when i had it it was you know that's Mm. well known but it's when your cells on your on your uterus grow go on the wrong on the outside of the uterus so you end up getting lesions and stuff all over your lemon organs Mm. and um and it, it gets really bad because of the hormones the estrogen and progesterone and all that and um apparently i had it really bad like i i got to the age of 19. And it was in quite a lot of pain and i ended up telling my doctor and straight away luckily because this doesn't always happen she knew what it was and she just went oh that sounds like endometriosis and i was like oh right and she goes no no we'll get you into hospital luckily i had private health insurance through my father at the time and i was able to get treated um straight away but uh it was in in a time where they didn't really know much about it. So all they would do is kind of like hack, hack the lesions off. Oh. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously you're under anesthetic. Yeah. One one. <laughs> yeah, so that sort of happened. And she said it was one of the worst cases she'd seen. And I, I didn't know that. I just thought I was just a normal person going through mm. pain, you know, in my menstruation. Um, mm. But yeah, uh, that led to, it always comes back. So I think when I was over there with you, you you came to visit me after I went to hospital get I it done remember. again. And yeah, I ha- I've had it done four times. So in the end, I was just like, I don't really want this. I'm now forty something. This was like a year and a half ago. I was like, I'm not going to have children. I don't want children. Let's um, ask for a hysterectomy because. But what yeah. happened a year and a half ago is that my body was just like all the organs were getting stuck. So my hormones were were going up and down crazily and I I didn't know and um, I was going through depression and then you know it was horrible and I was having anxiety attacks and dizzy spells and my thyroid was um, completely playing up and it just made me feel really sick and in the end I just said I'm gonna have a hysterectomy don't try and Mm. talk me out of it i'm 40 something years old i don't want kids and um i had private insurance again so i managed to get one but unfortunately the hysterectomy went wrong before that happened i had a sense something was going to go wrong um i know hysterectomy is a pretty pretty uh invasive so things can go wrong so I it's not like I was preparing in that sense but like spiritually I felt like something was going to happen mm. um so I wrote a, a will I've never written a will and this time I thought I feel like something's not right as soon as one of our lockdowns had finished i traveled around the north island because i was like i just want to see i just want to see my country all my time so yeah and then sure enough uh unfortunately there was a complication with my hysterectomy and my bladder got ripped but i didn't know yeah and i ended up leaving hospital thinking i was fine but in ending up in massive pain and uh, i ended up i ended up back in emergency A different hospital i got ptsd from that experience but that was not actually from the pain even though it was massive pain it was from the, the the care in the hospital unfortunately so yeah i had some pretty horrible experiences because we're really understaffed and everyone is overworked. Uh, our hospitals are, are some of the worst in the OECD. Like okay. we're 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 underfunded and understaffed. Yeah. We don't have enough beds. So um, yeah, that was a pretty bad experience. But weirdly enough, I kind of felt like it was going to happen. And during that period in the hospital, I got blood poisoning because they didn't work on me straight away. They knew that there was a rip in my my bladder, and they asked me to wait four days while they look while they had a slot. And I was like, well, what? What happens to all the wee that's
0: going yeah. around my
1: body? And they were like, "Oh, don't worry, it'll just flush out." You know, your body's pretty tolerant, and urine is sterile. And I'm like, uh-huh. I was like, "Yeah, but I'm pretty sure this is not good to, <laughs> to have wee going around my body." But anyway, I actually physically—I remember saying to them, "I don't know if I can last four days, but let's see." And during that four days, I got septicemia or whatever, blood uh-huh. poisoning. And I remember thinking, I'm fine, like I can still talk to these people, but I know something's wrong because my energy is leaving. Mm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually not talk to them. When they walk in the room, I'm I made a conscious decision to not say anything. So the nurse came in and she was, you know, bless her, she was checking my I had a by that point I had a catheter, she was checking my catheter bag, she was checking my blood pressure. And she looked at me and she said, Are you okay? And I remember thinking, Well, I can answer her. I could say, Oh yeah. But I was like no, I'm not gonna say anything. So I just looked at her and she gave me this look like she was a bit concerned. And then she walked out and she saw the catheter bag and it was black. And oh. she, she yeah she walked out and she taken my blood pressure and all that. And I literally heard her say, because the nursing station was next to my room, I think she's gonna die. It's like, oh. oh and I didn't even care at that point because I'm quite spiritual. So I was just like, Oh okay, this is how I go then. Okay. Well, I might just message someone and tell them I might be dying. <laughs> I remember messaging one of my friends going, ah, the nurse just said I was going to die. And she's like, what? (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay, bye. So I just laid there going, okay, right, let's just see what happens. And then I I saw them, other nurses walked in and they were checking on me and I saw the original nurse was crying. She'd been looking after me. So she'd been, Mm. she was upset, you know, and, um, and then suddenly um, all these people rushed in, like doctors, nurses, someone with a defibrillator was standing by. Um, people with clipboards and they cut, they sort of started injecting me with all this stuff and they're like, don't worry. There's a lot of people. Don't worry. You know, this is, this is fine. We're just going to help you. And I was like, mm, what's going on? And they were like, Oh, you, you've gone downhill really fast. And then I heard this code blue code blue over the, yeah. over the hospital. And I was like, Oh, okay. I think I must be dying <laughs> in my, in my head. I'm going, I must be dying, <laughs> oh. but I didn't feel, I didn't feel it. You know, I felt like I had no energy. <laughs> you fucked up i know and i was like okay i must be going so they they rushed me out and they said oh yeah you're, you're going down now you must have they said i had peritonitis and then um mm. septicemia um and as i was being wheeled out they were they were trying to find a surgeon so they must have bumped someone off to, to get me my surgery finally and i remember lying in my bed and i remember thinking i think this isn't what we call it what i call an exit point in spirituality, um, we all have exit points where your soul can decide that it's had enough. <laughs> and I think I was being presented with an exit point. I remember lying in the bed thinking, if I, if I go under anesthetic, I might not come back out because I think this is an exit point for me. And then I remember thinking, okay, do I actually want to, do I want to die? Do I want to leave? Because I knew COVID was just starting to happen, you know, like it would be in lockdowns. And I, I knew that Things were going to get worse on on the planet, mm. and it was going to get quite hard for everyone and myself. And I was like, "Do I want to stay? What, what? What? So I remember lying there, and just as they were about to wheel me in, I went, "No, I'll stay." No, okay. In my head, I was like, "No, I'll stay." All right, okay, body, we're going to come back, come out of anaesthetic. We're we're going to do this. We'll stay. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying this, but we'll do it. So I. I was on the anesthetic for five hours, apparently. And um, yeah, while they, while they found someone and then fixed me. And then uh, the, uh, the seven days of aftercare came and and I actually thought I was going to die again because they injected me with some, some anti-nausea drug that I was apparently allergic to, and I didn't realize Mm. it. So I was having really bad um, reactions. And like I actually said to them, if you keep injecting me with that, I feel like I'm going to die. Um, I heard a voice. Well, I, it might have been the morphine. Who knows? <laughs> it was Some spiritual force. Yeah. But I remember lying in bed after they injected me, and I couldn't move. But what, it, it, it had actually tranquilized me to the point where I was a rag doll, and I was drooling and I was slurring, and I couldn't. I couldn't move. And they. And I remember think hearing something in my head say, "What do you want?" And I. I listened, and it said, "What is it that you want?" And I went, "I want. Well, I want to live." I do want to live and then yeah I kind of fell asleep but I think that was another exit point because you can get more than one I think that was like me my soul was trying to say you know you can you can come out now if you want but if you stay you've got stuff to do and you're going to be able to fulfill a lot of missions that you're on soul wise and so you know I obviously chose to stay. And sometimes I wonder why, because it is really hard. I now know why I'm I'm here, which is why relationships don't matter to me anymore. So I think that the earth is going through something really important spiritually with this um, with this pandemic and that we're all trying to raise the consciousness of the earth and to a better place. So I don't know if you've ever heard of 3D and 5D and 4D in terms of spiritual concepts. Only cinema. <laughs> Only cinema. Only <laughs> <laughs> cinema. We are in a movie in in, in respects of what we're, what what's playing out on Earth is a 3D reality. Very dense. It's very very hard to live in a 3D reality because everything's slow. Everything's dense. You go through a lot of trauma, and it's all to try and help people learn and to raise your soul and your consciousness. And then eventually, through millions and millions of years, planets end up shifting and and whoever's living on that planet they end up shifting in consciousness to 4d and 5d and eventually you know way way up until until there's not much left of the planet you end up just being a light force so because planet is energy and matter is energy and when there's no matter it just transfers into something else and it's usually light so the earth is raising its consciousness and the only way she can do that is to have the human's who are living on it, on it to rise up with her, and the only way that can happen is for a whole bunch of people to wake up and go, "Wow, what's going on? Mm. What is actually happening? Why, why are we going through this?" And it, and that awakening can happen through thousands of different ways, and you don't all have to awaken via the same rabbit hole or whatever. There'll be enough people who wake up and go, "What the hell is happening?" And that, that is called an awakening a huge conscious awakening and i think i'm here to be a part of that to just sort of help um, raise the earth's energies and the this great this great awakening that's happening what would that
0: look like because you're saying that to me i just had images of like the planet of the apes where all the apes uplies and take over and uh, that's the kind of thing but are you saying like it's just a- an awareness of what the earth is capable of or the awareness of how man's been self-destructive or what does that look like to a person
1: yeah i think um there's different theories o- as to how that will how the awakening plays out but i think on a sort of more realistic level for for people who you know are just living their lives normally it's going to look like um a whole lot of people questioning more there's, mm. there's probably going to be a lot more protests there may be unfortunately you know riots and stuff because people will be so upset that they're, that they're, their questions aren't being answered there's going to be toppling of of um stru- structures and and governments and mm-hmm. and laws and 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 basically uh human rights will be usurped but then people will realize what's happening and these laws will come back in where things will be made sure that that doesn't happen again yeah. and it's going to take it's going to feel like it's going to take a long time, but actually it's happening quite fast because the the more horrible things happen to humans and the earth, yeah, the more, pe- the more people wake up. So that's why it feels like all this stuff is ramping up and um, it's going to feel like people are just going to get sick and tired of it and are, are either going to break the law, break the rules. Yeah. And then new people are going to hopefully come in and start better structures in the government where th- where things like this don't happen again so
0: do, do you think that would be on reflection of evolution
1: i feel like um probably an, an uprising is yeah. is because um we're ramping out it's it's happening a little like too fast like all the stuff is just rolling on top of each other it's not like it doesn't seem to be as slow as reflective uh, mm. re- evolution. it's like yeah. there's something there's going to be a tipping point where where and you you're you i'm actually seeing it on, on, on alternative media at the moment you know obviously they're not going to show it on mainstream media yeah. but i am seeing um people protesting and breaking into bill i'm not i'm not suggesting this is the way to do it. But this is what I'm seeing is people are just getting so fed up that yeah. um yeah, it's it feels like it's gonna be more of a an, an uprising. But it could but it will come from a, a lawful pers- perspective as well. Like there's gonna be lawyers who are going to be working for people and trying to push things through the court so that, that this will stop. Um and then and then obviously as years go by, I mean this is this is going to finish. We're not gonna stay in this this mode forever, you know. Where there's light there's dark where there's we will we will always go back to a position of light and um you know there will be a reflective period where they go we cannot let this happen if, ever again but uh, on a more soul level and spiritual level the earth is actually going to shift into another dimension and if you can't raise your vibrations and um you you know you, you're probably not going to shift with her that doesn't mean you yeah. won't ever shift because everyone shifts. But um there's a lot of people on earth right now who are trying to help you shift. So I think that was like my main purpose.
0: Christy, where, where do you see yourself in, in the next, in the next queen years? Um?
1: It's interesting in these times, I, I'm just focusing on the next six months at a time, really. Okay. Um, And I definitely know, like spiritually, the earth is definitely going to shift. It's going to rise up. It mm. has to because Light always wins, you you, yeah. you you can't you can't stay in darkness forever. That's not how the universe works. Yeah. So I know that, that things will get better. It, they'll get worse and then they'll get better. And me personally, I hope that I've shifted to a point where I'm um, living in a really happy place and just really comfortable with who I am as a human. Um, and then if that means that I have to keep writing screenplays and making movies, I, I hope that's the case. I still yeah. i still want to make movies but i'm now at a point where i'm like if if the movies don't come i don't need to feel so horrible about it because that was holding me down feeling yeah. anxious that you know what are people going to think of me if i if i believe in this or if i do this and the film industry is not going to take me i'm going to get blacklisted yeah. i don't have i don't have that fear anymore i just need to know how to make myself happy with in, in the moment yeah
0: and a lot of people go through life not even finding that bit out. At least you're halfway through your life now. Know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. It's very hard to get to this point, but uh, um, especially if you if you don't sort of believe in the some of the things I believe in. You know, yeah. So
0: if you yeah, it's it's hard if you're not following the general norm of society. Into just to let everyone know again, if people want to come in and, uh, and talk to you a bit more about spiritualism or uh, what you've been talking about. Um, can you give out all your socials again
1: uh well yeah my my main um website is christy com, and there's a contact form on that um and i've also got an email christy at mindspawnmedia.com but you'll see you'll see that on my website as well yeah
0: and i'll list it on description so thank you very much christy it's your, your day is well it's lunch coming up now and my bedtimes about about to start it was really nice speaking to you Christy uh, and don't forget to follow and subscribe on any of the platforms that you're listening to and leave us a nice little comment as well and uh, watch out for the next episode of shades